Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning because you are worthy. Simply stated, God, you are worthy of much more than we are capable of. You're worthy of more than our capacity to grant you our attention, to to give you, all of us, to affectionately be in your presence and long to hear your voice. But God, by your spirit, what we're asking is that you would help us. Please. And not because of me, but in spite of me, Lord, I just ask that your desire to truly relate, to be deeply relational, as we just assured ourselves of a moment ago, allow allow that to be a felt experience for every single individual here. You are a God who loves to be deeply relational. And because of that, you speak. And so in this moment, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Some of you may have watched a movie that came out a few years ago in 2018 called A Star is Born. In A Star, in a Star is Born, there's Bradley Cooper, which many of you might know more of. Bradley Cooper is a, he is a exorbitantly famous country rock star in this movie. And with a fake country twang, he sings and sings. And from big stage to big stage, he has everything that you would imagine the good life would, would assure. He has fame. He has fortune. People love him. And in his pursuit of the good life, of all that the riches of earth could offer, he's left disappointed. He's in fact longing to escape it all, to achieve bliss from all of life's disappointments, from all of the hot pursuit of heaven on earth. And so he just wants bliss instead. So he drinks and drinks and drinks some more. His story story is actually a really sad one. And there is a song he sings. He didn't write the song, but he sang it in this movie. And in many ways, it summarizes the whole of his life, the heartbeat of his pursuit of heaven on earth, whether it's the good life and fame and fortune or the bliss to escape it all. And the song is entitled, Maybe It's Time. Maybe It's Time. And I'm not going to sing it to you because that would be a disservice to you uh, and ruin all of the reputation I built here. And so instead, I'm just going to say it aloud, the the lyrics of this song, that the chorus rings something to the effect of, maybe it's time to let the old ways die. Maybe it's time to let the old ways die. It's really hard to change a man, and it's really hard to try. Maybe it's time to let the old ways die. And that, in a nutshell, is going to be the invitation of our time together this morning. You see, we find ourselves in Hebrews 8, and the very first verse comes out the woodwork to say, I have been talking for a while, seven straight chapters. And so the author of Hebrews says, I know there's been a lot of information, and I'm here to say that the summary statement, the main point of what I've been trying to tell you for seven straight chapters is this. Jesus, your high priest, has established a better way to experience heaven on earth. A better way. And the invitation he's going to extend to us this morning is maybe, just maybe, it's time to let the old ways die. Maybe, just maybe, it's time to let the old ways die because he has established a better way, a new way to experience heaven on earth. And so let's, let's try to unpack that together this morning. Look with me in your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 8, 
for a little bit of context, we're going to be in the first handful of verses. Hebrews 8.1 says this. Now, the point in, in what we are saying is this, the main point of my argument thus far. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent, that the Lord set up, not man. So I want to pause here for a moment to recognize together that the whole purpose of seven straight chapters of you listening to me, author of Hebrews, is stating there is such a high priest, and he is seated on high with all power and authority in heaven. And right there in heaven, he's a minister to you in the true tent that the Lord made, not man. The next few verses will highlight the contrast that the author of Hebrews has been making this whole time for us. He's high. He's exalted. He's better than you even imagined. He's better in every single way to relate to God, to have this covenantal relationship with the Lord. He provides it in a, in a new, fresh, and better and more excellent way. You see, Moses tried, and Moses got a glimpse of what heaven looked like where we could finally experience it here on earth in full, God in the fullest, the eternal, the cosmic, the transcendent. And yet all of that, according to the author of Hebrews in this passage, is that's just a copy, a shadow. The real thing has come. In Jesus, your high priest. And he concludes this kind of introductory remark in verse 6 by stating this, but as it is, Christ, Jesus has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. You see, so to summarize kind of where he's situating us is, I know I've been talking for a while, but I've ho- I hope you've been paying attention. The sum of the matter, the chief matter that I'm trying to communicate to you is this. You, new covenant people of God, you have such a high priest that can bring heaven to earth and you can experience it in fresh and full and new ways. And all you have to do is let the old ways die. And that is going to be easier said than done. We're going to spend the next handful of minutes together this morning trying to convince our own hearts to let the old ways die. Because it's not an easy task. And so the author of Hebrews, by the inspiration of the Spirit, is going to invite us, will you please just consider today, if it is true, which he's convinced that it is, that Jesus has established this new, fresh way, a better way to experience God's nearness, his face, heaven on earth, will you let the old ways die to to experience it in full? So the first one we're going to get to dive in together is this, the first promise that Jesus has established a new and better way to experience heaven on earth is that he all of a sudden transforms your sense of duty to him to a posture of delight, to a posture of delight. Look in the passage with me in verse 10. Hebrews 8, verse 10, it reads this, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In order for us to be the new covenant people of God that embrace this invitation from Jesus, our high priest, we're going to do a little bit of a dance continually this morning. We're going to go back to old covenant realities and then leap back into the new. So so come on this journey with me. We're going to go into the old, and the old covenant realities, there were 600 laws, 600 plus laws, 
that were an invitation to, yeah, just obey these. And in obeying God, you will learn to, to trust that, that this is actually good and right and an important way for you to experience flourishing, heaven-on-earth realities if you just obey. And the most sacred of those laws, the Ten Commandments, they were put into a box, into an ark. And then that box was put into a bigger box, a room. And there was a veil put before it, and there was a mercy seat over the box. And each year there would be a a lamb that was slain and and blood that was sprinkled over the mercy seat to, to trickle down over the box, the ark, where the law of God was held. And the hope there, crossing our fingers as the people of God, is that, Lord, please forgive us for everything we've done. Allow us to to all of a sudden be in relationship with you in right ways again. And so as you imagine this box within a box, what could easily be lost in translation as the law is given, as people are receiving all of these responsibilities in relationship to God, what gets lost in in translation there is the culmination of it all, the purpose of it all. What is the law for? You see, the way you can sum up all of the law of the old covenant in one word is love. It's to love. In Deuteronomy 6, there's a prayer called the Shema. Shema just means listen. And in Deuteronomy 6, this is a prayer that that Hebrews to this day pray twice a day. The Shema is listen, O Israel. The Lord your God, he is one. Love him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. You see, that was what the law was for. That maybe, just maybe, in obeying and obeying and obeying and trusting and trusting and trusting, the people of God would love this God who rescued them and freed them and is walking with them. Did you hear it in the passage that, that God took them by the hand? I freed you from the Egyptians. But that didn't work. And so God says, hey, new covenant people of God, I'm done taking you by the hand because you just keep running away. I'm going to take you by the heart. And that's really significant. It's a really significant shift that no longer is the law of God, the will of God, the, the, the invitation to trust and to love God written on tablets of stone, put into a box, into a bigger box. Rather, his law of love, to love him with all of your being, is now inscribed on your heart. That is the new promise of what Jesus has fulfilled, that we get to have hearts that have something written on them. And if we're honest with ourselves, this, this is more important than we think because you and I, because we're human, we love to do the things we shouldn't do. Am I right? And you actually, you actually hate to do the things that you should do. Like you should do the dishes. You should get here at 11 a.m. on time. You should try that. You should... Right, like wake up in the morning and long to love your roommates and your neighbors and your spouse and your kids who are crying. Like you, you should, but it's so hard to love to do the things you should do. Rather, it's, it's easy to get excited about the things you shouldn't do. So I'm going to put up an image that I think kind of encapsulates how we feel about this. This is an image of a speed sign. Maybe you've seen this. You're flying down I-10. You've got places to go, people to see. And you see this sign, be honest, in your mind, what are you thinking when you see this? 80, maybe. You know what I mean? What can I get through? So for me, I follow the 10% rule. 77. That's what that means. I'm going 77. Nobody's going to stop me. Because I've got places to be. The speed limit is hemming me in. It's hindering me from experiencing 
wind in, like, you know, wind in my hair, like so excited to break the rules. Like, this is amazing, life to the fullest. And, and what, we, what we view oftentimes is God's law through the lens of speed limits. Stop that. And it's hemming you in from, from just enjoying the thrill of all that life has to offer. But rather, we can easily miss that God's law in our hearts, inscribed there in many ways is, no, no, just do you understand that I am madly in love with you? And if, and if my law were to be lived in your life, you would realize it's not about hemming you in. It's a guide for your flourishing. You view it as not to go over, exceed this one little marker. I'm giving you a lot of room to run here. Zero to 70 for crying out loud. And it's for your best interest. And not just you alone, but for everyone around you. It keeps everybody in a state of safety and of vitality and of flourishing. We would all probably be better off if we all viewed speed limits that way, amen? And yet, it's against our nature. We can't help ourselves. And it's because we love to do the things we shouldn't do, and we hate to do the things that we should. God, knowing that about us, decided that instead of writing things on rocks, he's going to write it on our hearts instead. He needs to do that, that we would have a rewiring from within, that it's not external anymore, telling us, stop, slow down, do things differently, think about me in this way, but rather it's inscribed in our hearts. He's reversed the order, love me first, trust me, and then obey from that. That that is a grand reversal of how we, the new covenant people of God, get to interact with the law and what I love about that reality is that, is that, again, in every sphere of life, you, you don't have to view God's ways through this lens of speed limits anymore. You're going to walk out this room, and if we're honest with ourselves, you will view God's will and his ways as hemming you in, hindering you from enjoying the thrill of life. The real heaven on earth is somewhere out there apart from God's ways. You'll long for it with one more sexual partner, just one, You'll long for it with one more weekend that you won't remember. You, you'll long for it with one more exorbitant purchase. You'll long for it with just one more instance of turning a blind eye to close that deal or to s- secure that promotion. You'll do whatever it takes. But, but just let me, let me just taste heaven on earth my way a little bit, God, just outside the realms of your word, your will, your ways. Because you are actively choosing there to believe in your heart that God is hemming you in instead of securing for you delight upon delight. And so God knew for us to experience heaven on earth truly and fully that he needed to do something with our hearts. And so with yours and with mine, if you've trusted in Jesus, he has, he has written on it. And what he's written is mine. <laughs> you are mine and I am yours. And you don't have to follow rules to secure it. It will begin with love spill out into trust and then spill forth into obedience. You see, that, that is a new invitation for the people of God now. And so maybe, Seven Mile Road, would you, would you consider letting the old ways die of viewing everything in God's economy as duty instead of delight? And instead of praying for, for more discipline, to do the right things, just to stop thinking that way, would you pray that instead you would delight in him, that you would love him, and love to be loved by him and find that that changes how you think about his ways, how you think even about heaven on earth. So that's the first promise. That is the first invitation of Jesus who has secured and established a better way to experience heaven on earth. What is the second? 
The second is you no longer have to experience God through second-hand exposure. It can be first-hand. Look in the text with me in verse 11. Verse 11 reads this, And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Again, we have, to, we have to venture to old covenant realities to appreciate new covenant truths. So in the old covenant, the presence of God, knowing him, being near to him was terrifying. Right? After the people of God were freed from Egypt, Moses was the only one that could go up to the mountaintop. And God's presence looked like, felt like a storm on a mountaintop. Clouds swirling, lightning flashing, thunder rumbling. Who could possibly survive up there? So everybody else had to keep a safe distance from God's nearness, from God's presence. And just the one, Moses was allowed to climb on up, come on down, climb on up, come on down. And the scriptures tell us that Moses was a friend of God. So you start to put the pieces together that, ah, within the context and the confines of the old covenant, Second-hand exposure to God's presence for really everybody. First-hand experience just for friends of God. Now that, that reality, like when you let it settle in that that's how the people of God for a millennia experienced his presence, they would be shell-shocked to know that you and I don't have to relate to God that way. You see, in the new covenant, we get to know God, like really know God. That word for know in this passage is gnosko, which in the original language means to, to relationally and experientially befriend somebody. Like you, you, have to, you have to smell the breath from their mouth. You have to be able to see them through the hard things and the, the great things. It's, it's the sort of knowing that only comes from ups and downs, highs and lows. The invitation of the new covenant is you get to know God like that. Whenever Moses would come down from the mountain, he would have a glow about him, right? His face would be shining. They had to put a veil over his face because people had to look at Moses like this, like, what did God say? And the best way that I can try to relate that to you is, is people that come back from a place like Cancun. So I'm going to show you a picture on the screen here. Um, this picture is, well, wrong picture. There it is. This in many ways, it feels a little bit like heaven on earth. Am I right? Like, you look at the picture, it's like, I would love to be there yesterday. And if I'm being honest, I've had one too many friends come back from Cancun of late and tell my wife how wonderful it is and you really need to go. And so I feel like the bad husband every week when I'm like, we, we're, we're not going there. <laughs> um, I love that you're going, but please stop going and telling my wife about it. So I... Um, <laughs> But with Cancun, where am I? Heavenly, that's right, Cancun. Um, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, you and I will be a people who experience heaven on earth the same way that I'm experiencing Cancun and Houston, where I see the effects of Cancun, right? Like I see the glow. People are like sun-kissed coming in and they look like they've slept for four days straight. There's no eye bags anymore. You can't stop smiling. I get it. You had a blast. Somebody squeezed orange juice while you were bathing in the sun and <laughs> pina colada after pina colada. I get it. You loved it. And that, to me, 
If I'm not careful, I can experience heaven on earth like that, where I'm getting almost the effects of somebody else getting the best of Cancun, getting the best that heaven has to offer. Friend, let me, let me tell you how this might be happening to you and you might not even be knowing it. That if the main way you feel the flutters in your heart of, man, God is speaking to me, that if those instances are really only happening when somebody is standing up here, that is a glaring warning that you are experiencing God secondhand. You're getting the exposure, right? Like you, you're like, man, my heart is coming alive when that person reads the Bible and talks about it. When the invitation all along is, no, 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 God wants you. He wants to talk to you. He wants you to see his, va- his face and hear his voice. You don't have to receive it secondhand. When you're in the, the thick of a really hard thing, a really major decision in life. You're at a crossroads and you've got that friend on speed dial who really prays. You hold down speed dial and they're coming. There it is, just now. It's you. You're the friend. And if we're not careful, we will. We, we will depend on those people in our lives. Hey, I've got this major thing. Will you tell me what to do? You pray. You hear God's voice. I trust your counsel. And not to say that any of those things are wrong. Be convicted with preachers. Be, be convicted and led and helped by wise counsel of friends. Have those things, but if all the while you are never hearing God's voice, you are never seeing his face, your heart never flutters when it's just you and him in the secret place, you're missing it. You're experiencing him just like the old covenant people had to, secondhand, safe distance away from the bottom of the mountain instead of in the clouds with him. And the invitation of Jesus is, will you know me like that? Will you believe that I paved a path for you to experience heaven on earth like that? It doesn't have to be secondhand anymore. So as we consider, right, we we consider that Jesus, our wonderful high priest, the king on the throne, the minister for our souls in heaven, the mediator of a better covenant, he has secured it. Your sense of duty to obey God can, can now all of a sudden be shifted more and more into a disposition of delight. And as you delight to delight God's heart and you belong in his presence, you can see his face, you can hear his voice. You don't have to receive it secondhand anymore. And finally, finally, this is, this is the reality of the new experience of God that I wrestle most with. I, I have the hardest time believing. And so I hope I can preach it to you faithfully. But the last, the last way that Jesus ushers us into a new and fresh experience of heaven and earth is it no longer has to be cyclical it can be continual. Let's look in the text to, to unpack this together. So in verse 12 of Hebrews 8, it reads this, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. I just want to pause to, to make sure we're careful here. You're, you're going to miss this. You're going to miss the appreciation of this. Your heart won't actually absorb this if we're not really cognitive of the fact that it is, it is our hearts wiring to resist this truth. You see, in the Old Covenant, 
in the old ways of relating to God, of experiencing heaven on earth, God's disposition towards you was ever and always a little disappointed. His arms were crossed, waiting just for tomorrow when you would slip up again, when you would do the thing you promised to never do again. So he's sighing, shaking his head, ever disappointed. And the people of God would long just to allow for a moment where God is saying, it's okay, back to square one. You can be here. You're acceptable. But tomorrow's a new day. You see, it's a cycle of until you mess up again and mess up again and mess up again and then back to square one. Mess up again and then again and then again and back to square one. You see, this is the cadence. And in the new covenant, do you... Do you realize that God's arms are never crossed toward you? He's never sighing in disappointment toward you, ever. He is ever embracing you. Like, his arms are always open. And this, this is the thing that I, I struggle to believe, that God, arms always open, ever embracing, is saying, you're always accepted here. You're always adored right here. See, I have a hard time believing that. I, I like building resumes and I like believing that I can earn a place and if I'm really honest I'm convinced that God looks at me and says what else you got? That's it? Nothing more? I would love to tell you I'm proud of you that I'm you know, elated and glad with your trajectory I would love to tell you that I love to love you but I need a little bit more you see that's, that's my honest view of our God who's telling me right now no, 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 arms are always open, ever embracing. You're always accepted and adored here in this space. In Seven Mile Road, your heart will struggle to believe this. It's struggling even now to be warmed by this thought. Let me show you one more image. This is, this is my son, Elijah, and my wife and some friends, and they're at the zoo. Now this let me tell y'all, this is heaven on earth for my boy. This is, he is obsessed with animals. He can't go an hour without brrr, elephanting around the room, right? He, he can't help do it. So to ride around on a giraffe feels like, again, heaven on earth. And he loves to run. His little legs can't really sustain how fast he's trying to go. So he loves to just like be in motion. Let me tell you, heaven on earth, right? This is heaven on earth for my boy. And I love Elijah. I love him to death. And it makes me so both sad and frustrated that when there is nobody else in line, because we're there at a really strategic time, that the conductor is forcing my son to get off and get back in line. What line? There's no line. Just let him go again. One more time, conductor, let's, let's loop it around. Do you see the smile on the kid? Like, let's do it again. There's nobody there. I'll pay the fee. I'll pay double for crying out loud. Let's just do it again. But no, no, we got to get off get back in line. So it's this thrill of enjoyment for my boy for all of 90 seconds, and then crying, and then 90 seconds of, of you know, heaven on earth, and then crying again. Right? It's, it's this dance, and in many ways, this is how you and I interact with a God who we're convinced has his arms crossed toward us. Like, you did good. You paid the fee. You got in line. Enjoy it for all of 90 seconds and now get back in line. Come on, let's, let's see what you got. You've got to earn your way to the ride. Right? 
Like, if we're not careful, we view God as demanding, as requiring something to be appeased. And yet what he's saying is, no, no, you, all, the, all the day long, let's go until you're tired. You get to be in my presence. You get to enjoy heaven on earth, the thrill of me being with you face to face, speaking to your ear, like uh, making your heart come alive with delight about the things of God. Like that is all available all the time. He is not requiring for you to jump off and pay another fee to get back to the end of the line. And yet if you and I are not careful, we will view our God in this way. And Jesus is trying to convince us Maybe, just maybe, let the old ways die. You don't have to win God's approval anymore. All of those marks against you, all of those moments you are most ashamed of, all the times you wished you would have done better, he's forgiven every one of them. He has acquitted you. The truth is he doesn't even remember them anymore. Like that. What does that even mean that God doesn't not only hold you against all your wrongs, but he doesn't even think about them anymore when he looks at you? When he looks at you, all he thinks is delight. What would that change about you if you were a person to wake up each morning believing, convinced that God looks at you with all of your ugliness in the mornings and he looks at you and says, ah, I'm so delighted, so delighted in you. Church, I need to believe this, and I struggle to. But, but what, would it, what would it look like for you, for your relationship with the Lord, for your home, for your, for your campus, for your house church, for your place of work, for your city, for everyone and anyone that touches and experiences more of you in their life, if you would be an individual to embrace this invitation from Jesus, he has made a better way to experience heaven on earth. And he's done so because his heart was broken. His heart was utterly betrayed so that your heart might experience the filling, like the fullness of God's grand delight. His heart was broken so that your heart might have something else written on it. Mine. And not only that, he on the cross had his father's face turn away. God the Father had to turn his face away from his son so that he might never look away from you, that you might be able to go to the mountaintop and look right into God's face and know that I can know you this way. I can be your friend. That Jesus has secured that for us. And not only that, because on that rugged tree, Jesus was, going, was willing to go so far as to become your sin to become the very thing you are most ashamed of doing because he became that sin, because he died on that cross, God the Father doesn't even think about your sin when he looks at you. He doesn't remember it. He looks at Jesus and realizes, oh, it's been paid for, and then he looks at you with all the delight that he looks at his son with. Again, this is really hard for you and I to compute and how it affects our days, but you're going to walk out this door today. You're going to live your week. The next really difficult thing you experience, the next heartache, the next time you really want something that you think God would want for you to have and then you don't get it, there in that space of difficulty, you're going to be convinced that God just maybe is punishing you. Maybe, just maybe, he's upset with you. And what passages like this, what the cross of Christ convinces of us, 
There is no room anymore for judgment. All of the divine wrath of your sin has been paid in full. Will you believe it, friend? Will you go out there and realize that though there may be consequences of folly, though there may be things that happen in life that are hard and difficult, God is not arms crossed looking at you, making you pay to ride the ride again. That's not his disposition toward you. He delights in you. So please, if you hear nothing else this morning, would you just be willing to wrestle with the truth? That because of Jesus, this high priest we get to have, who reigns as king in heaven, who ministers on our behalf in heaven, who mediates a better covenant there for us in heaven because he is the king and the priest in heaven, he has secured for us a better way to experience heaven on earth. Would you allow the old ways to die? Amen. Let me pray for us. So, Jesus, we are immensely grateful. And we are grateful because we don't deserve it. We are grateful because we we did nothing to earn the length to which you would go to make all of these promises attainable livable. Jesus, you went to great lengths to make sure that we knew there is no no distance that your love would not go, no pit that you would not venture to, to make sure that we could relate to God in in this way, a better way, a more excellent way. And so, God, I just pray that we would be the sort to soften our hearts and finally let the old ways die. Let us live into your invitation. Let us accept it with glad and gracious hearts. And let us worship you now because you are worthy of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.